Genesis chapter 19, beginning with verse 23, terminating at verse number 26. And I see there's some standing for the reading of the scripture. If you feel so inclined to, Mountain View in the future, if you want to stand when we read the scripture, that's fine. If you want to sit, there's no scripture that says you have to, but it's a respect thing. And we thank God for you. Uh, whatever you do, be in tune. That's what's most important. <clears throat> the Bible says, and again, I read out of the New American Standard Bible, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. You may be seated. I want to talk to you, and the Lord has a word for you this morning, and I believe it is from God, about lessons from someone who couldn't let go. Lessons from someone who couldn't let go. There's something interesting about electricity, the phenomenon of electricity, and I call it a phenomenon because it is to be respected and the pendulum of that respect swings to both sides of the fence. It is not only to be respected, but electricity is, is to be feared. Man, we as humanity has found a way to take things that should be feared and somehow harness them to take away the sting of fear and replace that sting of fear with respect so that the thing that if out of control would hurt us, when we bring it in control and under subjection, it helps us. The same with other elements such as fire. A forest fire can kill you and wipe out homes, but you take that same element and put it on a stove top and it can cook your food. And electricity is one of those elements. What's interesting about electricity and, and even tragedies that we hear about, and if you look online and look at the news, you see that there are different people in history who have died by way of electrocution, and I'm not talking about the electric chair either. But I'm talking about the mishandling of something that should be handled with respect because of its power. Power almost demands respect. And what happens when somebody gets electrocuted by mishandling electricity, by taking something that is hot, if you would, and putting their hands on it, is the voltage 
goes through their bodies because we're not conductors. We actually have electric impulses in us right now. I don't know if you knew that, and some of you in science class may remember neurons and how even in our bodies there are, there are electric impulses. And God made us, and he put just the right amount of electricity in us for us to operate and function. But when you get a hold of a high-voltage situation, what happens is the volts run through your body and because our muscles work with electric signals and there's an overflow of electricity, our muscles are caused to involuntarily contract. And when somebody gets a hold of something electrical and that voltage goes through their body, their muscles contract. And in the muscles contracting, they, they grab hold to it and they clench down on the very thing that's now taking their life. And so while the pain is pulsating through their body, and it's a very unpleasant experience because the electricity is causing them to contract, even though they're having an unfavorable circumstance and experience because of the contraction of their muscles, they can't even let go. And many victims of electrocution end up dying not because of a shock, but when those muscles contract and they hold on to the very thing by force now that's slowly taking away their lives. Interestingly enough, if that ever happens to anybody here, here's a note on what to do. You have to take something that can conduct electricity. Wood, rubber, something non-metal. And you have to meet that person with enough force to throw them off of what they can't let go of. That too is painful. But one pain is killing them. <laughs> the other pain is saving them. The same thing it takes to save them, in essence, is the same thing it takes that to kill them, and that's pain. And, and so if you knock them off of their course and knock them away from the power source, they, they are separated from it. Now, they may be upset later, but they'll be alive to be upset. And what I'm saying is sin is similar in that when you get a hold to it, at first you have it. But if you have it long enough, because we were not made to handle being that kind of person and being to, to be able to manage and control sin, sin has a way of having us when we have it. And then just when we want to let go, it makes us contract in our spirit where we can't let go of the very thing that's hurting us. And unless that experience is met with the power of the gospel, we'll die by that union. Well, here in Genesis, we have a familiar story. We, we know it as Lot and his wife, and she turned around. But there are some details in here that I believe we need to take 
for our lives as we get into the word. Number one, Abraham was Lot's uh, uncle. Abraham was the guy over all of the Jews. Let's make it simple. All of the Jews. He was the father of the Jews. And there were some cities that Lot had ended up in, and he ended up there because he thought they were better at the moment. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 7 through 10, we find that Abraham and Lot were together and their herdsmen got into a disagreement and they couldn't get along because you know how it is when you spend a lot of time in personal space with people. It works at first. At first, it's a very amicable situation, but if you spend enough time in, in close proximity with people, living with people, you end up with new conflicts and you end up with new challenges and new problems and Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen were trying to all share the same land. So Lot and Abraham had this conversation and Abraham said, I tell you what, Lot, uh, whatever you want to take, whatever land you want to take, I'll, I'll take the opposite. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go north, I'll go south. You choose first. And Lot looked over and saw the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in those plains, there were five cities. Now, just stay with me. There were five cities. There were Sodom and Gomorrah, Zeboam and Zor, and a city called Adma. And all of those cities were in the plains of Jordan, and they were all together. But the two notorious cities that we're familiar with are the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were notorious for being wicked. But because Lot thought they were a good idea at the time, he didn't think far ahead. He just took what was good right then and there. Just like human nature, we take what we think is good for us at the moment. We don't think about how it might turn out. We take what's best for us at the moment, what feels good at the moment. Lot had an immediate gratification at what he saw with the plains of Jordan and Sodom and Gomorrah. So he pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Now Sodom is the city from where we get, that bears the name from where we get the word sodomy. I'm not here to do a whole dissertation on homosexuality and all of that, but I'm here to tell you that that was one of the prominent sins, but it just wasn't homosexuality, it was sensuality. That city had become so corrupt, Sodom and Gomorrah, that what was shameful had become a normal way of life. It had become the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no inner inner border there was no inner prohibition and they did things freely in that city to the point where everybody knew of their reputations and the bible says that the that that lot when he went to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 13 that it was a very wicked city so wicked a city it was that God decided one day that I'm going down to destroy it. But before he decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he had a conversation with Lot's uncle Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Since I've chosen you to bless many nations, I'm telling you, Abraham, that I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look in Genesis 18, there's a conversation beginning in verse 22 and following between Abraham and God. God tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Abraham is given the opportunity to bargain with God. 
to make intercession. He says, God, listen, I know you're going to go and you're going to wipe those cities out, but if you can find 50 righteous people in that city, will you spare the city? Of course, Abraham has a personal interest because his nephew Lot lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God had put Abraham in a position where Abraham can now bargain with God. And God was saying, okay, Abraham, if there are 50 righteous people in that city, I won't wipe the city out. Abraham kept going and he went from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30. He went all the way down, got to about 10 or 5 and said, Lord, if there are 10 or 5 righteous people in that city, will you spare it? And God says, okay, Abraham, if I find 10 righteous people in that city, I will not destroy it. Just to give you an idea of how corrupt it was that there weren't even 10 people trusting God. In the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God went down. The text says that God went down. Now God is omnipresent. Whenever you read a text and it says that God went down, it meant God got real personal. It meant that God wanted front row seats. He's everywhere, but he took a special interest. And he went down to see the cry of sin that was coming up from Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin had gotten full. And let me say something about sin and being full. And this is what God has given me to teach and preach today. That you can sin and sin and sin and sin in rebellion against God to the point where your sin becomes full. And what that simply means is that you have exhausted the sowing period to where the only thing left is your reaping. Your sin gets full. In other words, we're all operating right now on a grace. And let's just say we rebel and we mess up and we fall and we mess up and we rebel and we rebel. And all of that time is the season. And while you're in the season, God gives us grace to start planting different seeds. But if you spend your whole sowing season sowing evil, then all you have left is the reaping season. And there's nothing in your harvest that's coming in that can ward off the negative seed you've sown. So as long as you have life and as long as you're in your season, sow good seed, but Sodom had constantly over and over remained in a state of rebellion against God. So God went down. And he says, okay, I'm going to destroy it. He dispatches two angels. Now he tells Lot. Now I want to show you something. In Genesis chapter 19, Lot finds out. It was Lot, his wife. I don't know what her name was. But he had two daughters and they were engaged. And the Bible says that Lot in verse number 14 spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. And in verse number 14, he says to them, up, get out of this place. Why? The Lord is going to do what? I want you to see that this year, and this is an end of the year message, that there must be, as you go into the next year, a deeper sense of urgency to get right. One of the things that's lacking today in our world and even in the kingdom 
is a sense of urgency to get right. That thing that tells us and reminds us that we don't have forever to get right. We don't have all year to get right. There has to be something about the judgment of God that makes us put some pep in our step and keeps us from being comfortable in a position where God does not approve of where we are. But I want you to see the weirdness of Lot because I've learned that human nature is more urgent about other people's sin than their own. About other people's preparedness than their own. Lot gets the message from the angels. He goes to his sons-in-law. He says, hurry up. We got to get out of here. This city is going down. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be wiped out. And he's urgent. He's urgent. The Bible says that they laugh at him and they think that he's out of his mind. And they just pick, make fun of him. And here he is. He's saying, I'm telling you, we got to go. Get up. We got to get out of here. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. And then two verses later. The angels come to Lot. And the beginning of verse 16 says that he hesitated. How interesting it is that people are more urgent for other people to get right than themselves. Here Lot was, he was just giving a message to his sons-in-law saying, get right, get right, the city is going to be destroyed. And then when the angels come back for him, He's dragging his feet. In 2019, be urgent about being right. And when I say being right, I'm not talking about being perfect, but be urgent because God gives us these seasons where his grace abounds and he tolerates us and he tolerates us and he puts up with us. But God put a system in place and the system will not be our friend if we are misusing the system. And the system is based on an agricultural principle that says you reap what you sow. Here a lot is. He's urgent about his sons and lost, but the angels come and he's hesitant. So the angels grab him by the hand, grab Miss Lot by the hand, grab the daughters by the hand, and they go out and he leads them out of the city and he tells them to go to the mountains. And Lot says, wait a minute, I can't go to the mountains. I, 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 until this disaster is dangerous up there. Now, remember I told you there are five cities in the plain of Jordan. Sodom and Gomorrah were just two. I need you to know that God didn't just destroy and wasn't just destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of us don't like history, but I think it's time. I, there's nothing that irritates me more than biblical illiteracy, where churches are full of people saying amen to stories they're not familiar with. You know there were five cities in the plain. Sodom and Gomorrah were the notorious worst. But there was the city of Adma. There was the city of Zeboim. And there was the city of Bela, which is called Zor. And that's found in Genesis 14 too. God was going to wipe out all of them that were in the valley. All of them were going to burn up. All of them were going to be under the judgment of God. When God got Lot and said, Lot, go to the mountains, pay attention. 
He said, no, we don't want to go to the mountains. Please be merciful on us. Please be merciful on us. We don't want to go. Let's go to this city over here. The city that he referred to was Bela, which is Zor. He changed the name to Zor because it was a small city. It was insignificant. The word Zor means insignificant. And be careful about discounting insignificant things in your life because you may have to find refuge in insignificant things. You may have to find refuge with insignificant people. Be careful about casting people aside because they don't make what you make and they don't have the education you have and they don't look like you look and they don't drive like you drive and their personality is different from yours and they've been through this, that, and the other. The Lord may protect you with an insignificant person or relationship or place. God sent him there. But it was a mutual protection. Why? Because God was going to destroy the five cities, all five of them, Zor included. But the partnership between Lot and Zor protected Zor and it protected Lot. Because when somebody is under God's protection, whoever ministers to them comes under God's protection. I need you to know that when somebody's being preserved by God, whoever and whatever encases them, whatever decides or whoever decides to host them, whoever decides to partner with them, whoever decides to be hospitable to them, come under God's protection. There are certain purses that you have that are very cheap in this audience, but the reason why you cling to them is because what the purse is holding has the significance. Some of you wouldn't mind your purse getting stolen. It wouldn't bother you if the contents were taken out. I read somewhere that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, it may be that whole schools and whole congregations and whole families are not protected because everybody in the family is right or everybody in the church is right. But it may be old sister Jenkins who spends every morning on her knees praying about the church Why people who deal with her are under protective custody. Zor was supposed to be destroyed and only four of the five cities of the plain were destroyed because a lot was scheduled to be in Zor. So they make the journey. They leave. Lot, his daughters, and his wife. Here's the issue. Her heart was not in the direction where she was going. In 2019, some of us need to change not the direction of our plans, but the direction of our hearts. Not the direction of our bodies, but the direction of our hearts. Because you can be geographically heading one way, but emotionally going the opposite direction. You can be geographically heading one way, but spiritually be going in the opposite direction. Here it was, Lot was leading her. And the Bible says in Hebrews that Lot was a righteous man among those who were not. It does not mean he was perfect, but he found favor in the eyes of God. And God's grace makes whoever has that grace righteous. 
but it is attributed righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. And here she was following a lot, but she had more confidence in what was behind her than what was in front of her. She was in 2019 looking back at 2018. She was in the next part of her life looking back in the last part of her life. She was in the sunny day still looking back at the rain because you will always go or end up paralyzed where your focus is. Your focus will control your direction. And though she was going away from Sodom and the fire and the brimstone and she was going to Zor, her heart was still there. And some of us are going into 2019, but our heart is stuck in something in this year. Something that happened that we can't forgive. And here we are saying Happy New Year, but our heart is on an old experience. The trouble with Lot's wife, watch this, is that God was trying to save her from something she was in love with. What happens? What happens? When the thing God is saving you from, you've developed such an affinity for that you, while God is saving you, you're attempting to save it. While God is pulling you out, you're attempting to drag it with you. While God is saying, look, you're done with that. I'm getting you out of here. Look, that's headed to destruction. That's going to be destroyed. That was yesterday's thing designed for judgment and wrath. And God is saying, come on out. But the problem was she was still attached. What are you attached to that hinders God from fully bringing you into your destiny? What is it that you have that you're in love with? What, what is it that you can't let go of? What is it that God can't, that's hindering God's, 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 God's desire to save you? Because all of us have it. All of us have a Sodom. A Sodom. And I know we like to call ourselves Lot in the text. But Lot was the husband. The husband was righteous. And if we were being ecclesiastical, and if this was ecclesiology and talking about the church, Lot would be Jesus. His wife would be the church. May we never become a church that turns into the statue of what we came out of. May it never be the case that the Lord is saying, come on, follow me. But because our heart is in the last phase of where God had us, our heart was in the last place we were. Our heart was in the last thing we came through. Our heart was in the last affinity we had. Our heart is in the last thing we were attracted to, the last thing we held on to, the last thing we were addicted to, the last thing we, 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 we saved, the last thing we tried to rescue. You cannot rescue what doesn't get along 
wrong with God if God would rescue you? Watch the text. Very interesting. The Bible says, they tell Lot in verse 22, hurry, escape, therefore I can do nothing, anything until you arrive there. That's the preservation of God. This year, God has kept a lot of us. If we really think about what should happen, what should have happened to us this year, we have to, our soul would have to look back and wonder that there are some things that should have happened this year that did not happen because God was preserving us. In other words, God told Lot, listen, I'm not going to start what's going on here until you get out of here. So you got to hurry, move. You're holding up, you're holding up God doing away with this phase. You're holding up God doing away with this used to be. Hurry up and move forward. Get out of here, Lot. Go to Zor. If you're going to go to Zor, go to Zor. But we have special orders not to touch Sodom and Gomorrah as long as you're here. Take your protective custody and go to Zor. We, like I said, we better be careful about dismissing people out of our lives because we may be dismissing the one person who God is putting up with us over. Paul talks in Corinth about husbands that sanctify their wives and wives sanctifying their husbands. And while you're upset and you want to trade in for the new model, <laughs> your husband may be the reason why you've received so much grace. Your wife may be the reason why you're still here Amen. while God is tolerating you. Amen. Your parents, while you're upset young people with your parents because you just wish you had different parents and why they always got to do things like that and I don't like that and my dad tried to be so strict and my mom tried to do this and that and the other. You be careful about that because it may be that your protective, protective custody is based on theirs. Amen. It could be that their presence stays God's hand on you. This is how it is with all of us in Jesus Christ. We dare not be detached from Christ. We can't afford to be detached from Jesus because if we are detached from Jesus, who is our saving grace, the only thing that's left is the wrath of God. So move forward. The Bible says the sun had risen. The rain came on Sodom and Gomorrah. God accomplished destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife looked back from behind him. She looked back. I need you to know that she did not look back at what was being destroyed. She looked back at what was already destroyed. Because it's very possible for something to be done away with, but we're not done with it. It's very possible for God to have dealt with it, but we're not through dealing with it. For God to have wiped it out, but we're not through with it. Have you ever, ever been in the situation? Have you ever, ever been in the case where you were resurrecting something that God killed? Where you were resurrecting an old habit that God said, I killed that. Why are you looking back at it? It's gone. What makes this such a tragedy? Years ago, I preached a lesson called the tragedy of getting away but not escaping. 
She was not in the cities that were destroyed, but she was destroyed. And the theological side to this, the redemptive side to this is just because you are out of sin doesn't mean you made it to heaven yet. Just because you're out of sin doesn't mean you made it to heaven. She was out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but she still perished. Why? Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Here are a few practical principles that I wanted to give you, Mountain View, as we go into the new year. Hmm. Your heart will always find a way to bring your body to where it is. Your heart will always find a way to bring your body to where it is. I like to use simple examples. I have a penchant for little Debbie. Don't judge me. I like little Debbie. Can y'all hear me in this mic? Somebody said, no, I need some volume here. Okay. Uh, is that better? All right. I have a penchant for little Debbie. She and I were an item. And every now and then, in spite of doctor's orders, watch this. I find myself where she is. <laughs> Do you know what finds my way there first? My mind. I get preoccupied. One of the paths to any addiction is that first you go through a preoccupation. Whatever it is, you, that you're addicted to or that you're driven to or that you're drawn to, you go through a phase where you can't get it out of your mind. You rehearse it in your mind. You, you can imagine yourself peeling back the package. You look at it with romance in your eyes. You pull the plastic back and unveil the nakedness of the Swiss roll. The chocolate sheets are neatly wrapped around each Swiss roll with just a hint of the vanilla cream on the inside, giving you just enough view to stimulate your desire. And all of this is before you went to the store. Preoccupation. It means you take a trip before you take a trip. It means your mind goes there first. And here's the principle again, that your heart will always find a way to get your body where it is. Not where your body is, but where your heart is. So how do we fix this? The Bible says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your affections, your heart, 
on things above. Any issue you have with your Sodom is a heart problem, which means you now have to practice changing and reconditioning your heart. Now, God will do it, but you have to practice. And since preoccupation is how you go back to Sodom, you have to change what you're preoccupied about. What does that mean to change your preoccupation? When you're in the preoccupation stage, you can still catch yourself because you know what you're thinking about. You know what you're thinking about. For some of us, it's spending money. For some of us, it's sexual. For some of us, it's sensual. For some of us, uh, for some of us, it's 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 power. For some of us, it's 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 different things. For some of us, it's it's engaging in things that are far from our character. But whatever it is that you've been brought out of, that you find yourself drifting back to because you are preoccupied with it. And you've got to know that the devil is not just going to let you not be preoccupied. He will put things in your path to remind you. This is why the world we live in has found a way to reduce Sodom and Gomorrah down to a CD. To reduce Sodom and Gomorrah down to a song. Do you not know there are certain types of music that can drift you into preoccupation? The music is very descriptive. It tells you what it wants and what you want and what you need to have and what you need to have, whether it's music about violence or music about sexuality or music about crime or whatever it is. And it will bring you and take you to a place before you know it, you think you're somebody, you're not doing something you have no business doing and you're doing it first here. The devil has found a way to reduce Sodom and Gomorrah down to social media. Because the other trigger is seeing someone else engaging. What made her attracted to Sodom was not necessarily what she did, but what was in there. Sometimes it's what you're responding to, the outside stimuluses that are going on outside of you that cause you to become preoccupied. Then you become ritualistic. You start doing what it takes to get there. I'll give you an example. When I think of little Debbie, the ritual is I I know exactly where to go. It's the same thing. I think of little Debbie. I think of her Swiss rolls. I go to the same dollar store, say the same thing to the clerk as I walk by, go down the same aisle, which is not the aisle where she is, it's in the aisle next to her, because I want to give myself some time to try to resist. But that's part of the ritual. I'm not resisting. By that time, it's over. Go to the counter. Get the same thing, get it, pay for it, get it in the car, and do the same thing with the box on my way to the house. By the time it gets to the house, two are already gone. Now, I'm being comical with this, but all of us have a ritual of Sodom, 
of something God brought us out of that's keeping, that keeps on calling us back. Even if it's bad relationships, even if it's addiction, even if it's crime, even if it's whatever, it calls us back and we get preoccupied with it. And as soon as we get to the point where we turn toward it, we will become stagnant in our progress. Some of us have been on our way to achieving our goals for the last 10 years. Why are you still on your way? Maybe it's because you're not moving because you've turned around. See, the devil is not always trying to get you where he is. Sometimes he's just trying to stop you from going where God is. You don't have to be inside him. Just turn around. You don't actually have to be here. You don't have to die with the brimstone and the fire. No, no, no. I don't want you to do that. What I want you to do is I want you to turn around. I want you to be immobilized. I want you to be paralyzed. What's interesting about this, and I'm just about done, is that Sodom was near the Dead Sea, and Jewish tradition has it that her... Her salt-pillared body overlooked the Dead Sea. When she turned around, the Dead Sea was behind. Now, I need you to know that the other name for the Dead Sea is called the Salt Sea. And what's unique about the Dead Sea in the Bible is that that sea is notorious for not having any life in it. And the reason why it has no life in it is because the salt content is so high in the Dead Sea that nothing can survive. So now she was stuck facing something that can't do anything for her. Facing lifelessness. Stuck overseeing something that's dead. Have you found yourself ever around something that will only take but not produce? Historically, the Dead Sea has grown over time. Because water flows into it, but no water flows out. So it's enlarged. So you have this large body of water, which incidentally started out as a lake that can't produce anything. And this, near this body of water, is where she got paralyzed. What dead thing are you stuck beside? What dead situation can't you unhitch from? What thing this year that you rehearsed from last year that you'll rehearse next year? What dead issue will you find yourself going over, 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 and over again only to come up with the same end result that you can't do anything about it? God is saying, I'm bringing you out of there, but keep your eyes forward and your heart even further than that. Because your heart will find a place and find a way to bring your body to where it is. In 2019, your purpose is always aligned with your direction. If you have no purpose there, don't go in that direction. Stop hooking up with people that are going opposite your purpose. Why do you do that? Why do people do that? You hook up with people that have nothing to do with your purpose. And you wonder why you look up and you're in the same place. You're hanging around Dead Sea people, Dead Sea relationships. 
2019, get rid of those relationships. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about relationships. And the best way to get rid of them is for you to change. I'm not talking about make a phone call and say we can't hang out anymore. That's not what I'm talking about because we like taking that route. I'm saying once you change, some people won't be able to tolerate being around you because dead things don't like hanging with living things. So I'm not talking about go call somebody and make these, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I know we like to get on social media and I'm cutting people off this year and we're doing all, no, no. I'm saying cut the part of you off that they're attracted to. Because once you fix that part of you, you'll stop attracting dead things. If you want to know why buzzards hang around you, check your life level. We always make other people the enemy and we always want to be the victim and we always want to blame other people for why we're not further. Nobody forced Lot's wife to turn around. Nobody told her to look this way. It was already in her heart and if she would have fixed her heart and set her heart on following righteous man Lot, she would have not been in the same place that she was when she turned around. You have to change the things about you that make people who are going nowhere want to be around you some people won't even want to be around and I'm going to tell you how you know it's happening you know what's happening when you start having less in common when you're on the phone and you're wondering what we got to talk about now Because if we're not talking about a particular thing, I'm realizing we really don't have anything to talk about. If we're not talking about the thing that had me in bondage, if we're not talking about the thing that God delivered me out of, I'm wondering what in the world is our conversation about. And it isn't that you've cut them off, you've cut that part of you off. And finally, Your value system has to be greater for your destiny than your past. You have to value it. (laughs) The most dangerous person in the world is someone who has no value for the future. A person that has no value for the future is stuck in the present. And even though they live, they're already dead. In other words, tomorrow means nothing. Tomorrow means nothing. Next week means nothing. Because when you don't value the future, your decisions reflect it. You make right now decisions. You choose Sodom and Gomorrah because it works for you Right now, you pursue immediate gratification. And since next year doesn't really matter to you, you don't make partnerships that will help you. And you end up a walking participant in a cemetery movement. And all of your associations are dead. And you know what's in cemeteries? Statues, mausoleums, dead folk, and statues. Pillars, 
of salt. Museums. Mausoleum museums. Because you have not placed value in your destiny. She valued what she left more than where she was going. And whole churches can get like that. You ever hear a church? Uh, there's a book called Seven Last, uh, The Last Sayings of a Dying Church. And one of the sayings is, we never did it that way before. Whole churches can't move forward because they're stuck on how they did it 10 years ago. We didn't do it that way before. There are some people that are immobilized where they are because they can't get over somebody that left them, whether by death or whether by choice. And now you bring your death to every relationship you're in. Every relationship is that death. You, you bring a pillar of salt so you end up in things that can't go anywhere because you're not going anywhere because you've turned back instead of valuing where God is taking you. And the reason why it's so much harder to value where God is taking you is because you've seen where you've been. You've got to go where you're going by faith. And in 2019, some of us need to keep our eyes forward. What is God doing in my life right now? What opportunities are opening up? This is going to be the year when I decide to actually follow through with what I've been saying I'm going to do for the last few years. I ain't got time to fool with Sodom anymore. Been there, done that. As a matter of fact, Sodom is dead to me. God dealt with Sodom. I'm facing forward because God has something in front of me. And I am not going to allow a look behind me to rob me for my moment in front of me me lessons from someone who couldn't let go somebody hurt you uh, is that what you said you said that somebody hurt your feelings how long ago was that Brother Hamilton, that's not fair. You just, are you saying just get over it? No. I'm saying let it get over you. Because there's a phase where it's hard to let go. I get it. You've been hurt. It happened. There's a phase where it's hard to let go. It's like that electricity and you're contracting. Your spirit is contracting and you can't let go. But the Lord sends something strong, something traumatic, something better, a blessing to throw you off. Now, if you have it again, it's by your choice. It is not because you couldn't let go. But it isn't because, it isn't because you didn't get over it. It's because you choose to nurse it and irrigate it and keep it growing. How many of us have things that we're watering in our life that would die if we just stopped watering it? That we can let go of if you just stop rehearsing it. If you just stop, and you know what? Stop, stop hanging around people that let you do it. Because some of us are very selective with who we hang around and we don't want to hang around people that make us better because it makes it reminds us that we're not where we are. So we find yes people in our lives that will baby us and nurse us and coddle us and cuddle us and we're always going up to somebody who's going to say yes and hear our pity story over and over. Well, I'm here to tell you they tired of listening to you. They just didn't tell you yet. Oh yeah, they're talking about you. Why? Because when they see you coming, they 
know that's what you're all about. And if they're about something, they're tired of hearing your story. Listen, they're on with their destiny. It's time for you to be on with yours. Surrounding yourself with other sodomites who will enable you not to let go. Maybe you're one of those enablers in the name of encouraging. Some of you are encouraging people into a pillar of salt. You are. Why? Because they need company. And you give it to them. They can't let go. And every time God does something traumatic in their life and give them something else to think about, they go reach for it again. And guess what? You pick it up for them and put it in their hand. And the problem is they're going to be alone anyway because you're moving on. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know God is talking to somebody. Finally, in Luke 17, 32, is the only other time you see Lot's wife mentioned. And Jesus says it simply like this, as he's talking about the end of time, and it's an eschatological text where he's talking about what's going to happen in the end of time. He uses three words as he's talking about people in the last day who will try to go back and get things when he comes again. That's what he's talking about. He says, if you got something, don't go back to get anything when I come again. That's basically what he's saying. As a fact, as a matter of fact, everybody go to Luke 17. You got to see this and the lesson is yours. But you, do you hear what God is telling you today? Are you getting your message? And if it hurts, it's supposed to. But it's not the hurt of holding on to an electric current. It's the hurt of being knocked off your course so that you can let it go. That's the hurt it is. That's the hurt it is. God is saying, I want to bring you into something. But Sodom cannot come. And if you're bringing Sodom with you, it will win. Before you come where I have for you, you will go to where it is. And he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 31, talking about the end, what does the Bible say? Read! On that day. <laughs> Y'all know I'm going to do this, man. I gave you all that time, did all that filibuster. Come on. On that day, let not the one who is on the housetop. On that day, that day of the Son of Man, let not the one who is on the roof housetop read. And whose goods are in the house. Whose goods are in the house. Go down to take them away. In other words, don't be attached to anything that makes you unready for me. Don't go pursuing anything that will make you miss me. In that day when I come again, just be ready where you are. Don't be so attached to something that something, getting something else is more important than meeting me. Amen. And then in verse 32, he says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife who missed her salvation because there was something she couldn't let go of. In Sodom. Everybody stand to your feet. Give God some glory in here. Did you hear what God is telling you? Somebody here, 
That's your message for 2019. I wrestled. I preached a different message at 8 o'clock. But here's the thing. There are some messages we're not ready yet. We're not ready for yet. Because we're not ready for a message about how, how God is going to bring you through if you're ignoring how he's doing it. Yeah, God will bring you through. He'll bring you out. God is a deliverer. It isn't that God hasn't delivered us. It's some of us have ignored how he did it. He's saying, I'm delivering you. I'm saying, leave. Leave what I'm delivering you from. You don't get to be delivered and keep that. You don't have space for that. You don't have room for that. Keep your focus on where I'm bringing you. And when you decide to turn back, you've also made a decision to not move forward. And there's somebody here in 2019 and you're praying. There are some things that had you in strongholds in 2018 and you don't want to bring those into next year. I'm not talking about people. Again, don't be a victim. Don't be the big victim. And uh, yeah, I need to, yeah, brother, I don't like Brother Jones. Brother Jones, we can't talk. I'm deleting you. You should see timeline, you know. Some of y'all being deleted and blocked from my page. Who cares? <laughs> because if the problem is still there, you'll just find the same type of people with different names. Yes. Because this is where the problem is, Jack. And if you fix your timeline and your friend list, but don't fix your heart, you'll have the same type of people in your life. So stop trying to make everybody else the problem. The problem is Lot's wife didn't get it right here. And she was trying to move her body, but her heart stayed at the same place. And this is an invitation for you to give God your heart. He wants your heart. He says, bring me your heart. Come believing, believing that I can turn you around. I died to have your heart. I gave you my heart so that you can have, so I, I gave you my heart and took your heart so that you can have my heart. This exchange was what the cross and the gospel is about. And he said, bring it. I don't want your bills, I want your heart. You trying to give me your bills but it's your heart that got you into that debt. Mm. We're going to talk about it this year. It's your heart that got you into that debt. I want your heart. You're trying to bring me your relationships. That's your heart. You think everybody is the problem. You think everybody else is the problem? Sister girl, you done dated 10 guys. And you think all 10 of them is the problem? Working on 11 and got 12 in the cut. And your recourse is that there are no good men in the church or in the community. The problem is statues don't do good with moving people. And maybe you've turned into a pillar and you need to change that thing that makes you in love with what God is trying to save you from. You. Brother, and sisters, I'm not going to pick on you. Brothers, 
Same thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Sisters say same thing. Same thing. Oh, look at that. <laughs> that, was, that was extra strength strong. I didn't say extra strength strong. Regular strong, not extra strength strong. Same thing. I just need somebody who, who's going to be with me. I'm looking for a girl that can. Look here. Be what you're looking for. And if you attract what you don't want, look at who you are. Here. If you need to come, maybe you need prayer, come on down. Maybe you're here and you've been visiting this church and you want to begin your, your you want to resume your discipleship journey here. I, I, I'm just so, I feel so encouraged to meet so many of you from the community. I'm just so glad to, to meet you and to... Uh, I really am. I really am. Uh, some of you I, I can identify with uh, readily, and some of you you've been coming and visiting. And then those of you from other churches and other congregations, we'd love to have you here. This is a movement. This is not a perfect group of people, but we serve a perfect Savior. Amen. 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 This is not a car showroom. It's a mechanic shop. So even if you see a Bentley in here is being worked on. And what I'm saying is this is not the perfect place where nobody's going to, we're growing together. God is working on us together. We want you to resume your discipleship journey here. If this is the church you want to go to and you want to call it home, I believe that you're going to get the teaching you need to get for whatever else you need. If you want to be part of this church family, we want you to come down and make that known. We're glad for you to resume your discipleship here. Those of you from other congregations in our fellowship that don't understand what that is, it's called discipleship. Discipleship is a journey. We are not bouncers standing at the door of this place. Kingdom is one thing. Congregation is something different. And we welcome all people. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your church background is. If you want to start coming here and you want to come to our Bible classes and you want to worship with us, we want you to come because we trust the power of the word. And the word can do more than we can. And we believe if we're teaching what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will get with your heart and something will happen and you won't even see it coming. It'll be like a sucker punch. And all of a sudden you'll be exactly where God wants you to be. But right now we want you, we want you to be here. Amen. And we want this to be the place where you find where God wants you to be. So if this is your desire right now, maybe you're here and you want more study.